0: It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating.
1: I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand
2: what you're going through.
1: Welcome to the Season 3 premiere of the Major Pain Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and today, to kick off the third year of the show, we'll be catching up with three previous guests. First, we'll chat with Andrew, who first appeared on the show on December 22nd, 2021, in an episode titled Living with Mild Traumatic Brain Injury, Season 1, Episode 38. In that episode, Andrew discusses being diagnosed with MTBI as an adult, after having experienced multiple blows to the head as a child. And catching up with Andrew was amazing, because he is in the very slow process of feeling like a new self is developing, and like he's coming back alive. Next, we'll chat with Amy Stephanie Perez, who appeared in Season 2, Episode 9, published on June 7, 2022, and her episode was called Living with Psoriatic Disease. Amy told us all about growing up with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, as well as premenstrual dysphoric disorder, or PMDD. Today, Amy will tell us about being diagnosed with yet another chronic illness, as she was just diagnosed a couple months ago with colitis. Amy's late father lived with rheumatoid arthritis and colitis. So now that Amy has been diagnosed with colitis, she is reconsidering several memories of her father. And this led to one of the most personal, open conversations we've ever had on the podcast. And I'm so grateful to Amy that she is comfortable with us sharing that today on the show. And then to wrap up the episode today, we'll be chatting with Alana Jacklin, who first appeared on the podcast, May 10th, 2022, Season 2, Episode 5, in an episode called Chronic Illness Author and Advocate, Alana Jacklin Shares Her Rare Disease Journey. And like Amy, Alana has also been diagnosed with a new chronic illness. She was already living with primary immune deficiency disease, or hypogamoglobulin anemia, and a mysterious adhesion disorder, But today she'll tell us about the harrowing journey of being diagnosed with intracranial hypertension, being told that her doctors recommend brain surgery, and having to get repeated spinal taps to relieve the pressure in her brain. Alana is also working on a new book about medical gaslighting, and she's looking for people to interview. She'll tell us all about how you can contact her if you'd like to share your medical gaslighting story. All three of these return visits from our previous guests were phenomenal. I'm so excited about this episode. I've been working on it for a few weeks and I'm thrilled to finally release it so you can have it in your ears today. This is my first time recording a podcast introduction in my brand new studio at the new home that Andy and I just moved to. I'm still working on the sound conditioning in this room, trying to get a a little bit more of the room sound out of the recording, but that will happen over the next several episodes of the podcast, or maybe even beyond. This might be a long-term project, but I have an incredible recording space here. The house is amazing. The move went really well, and it's just so exciting to be living here. Yesterday, Andy and I recorded a bunch more detailed information, (laughs) very detailed information, uh, in our Patreon bonus episode that is now available for the month of April. I'm fascinated by audio production, all the nitty-gritty details of getting the sound of this show the way that I like it, and we talked a lot about that in the bonus episode this month, which was super fun for me, as well as some more details about the house and our move, and of course, what we've been watching on TV. All of our bonus episodes are available to every single member of our Patreon community. If you're interested in signing up to support this podcast with monthly financial contributions while receiving special recognition, bonus content, and even gifts like our Major Pain Coasters and Tote Bags, head to patreon.com slash Podcast. Kicking off Season 3 felt like a good time to make a couple of updates to the podcast as a whole. First of all, you may have noticed that I have updated the musical intro to the podcast. I have a new montage of voices on top of it. This is something that we do once a year for the podcast, and it's always a really interesting process of diving back through the last year's recordings looking for clips. It takes quite a while, <laughs> but it's always a rewarding process when it all comes together. I'm excited about how Season 3's intro is sounding. We hear four voices, Ashley, Amy, Toya, and Joey, and we'll be hearing their voices at the beginning of the show for the next year. I've also made a small update to the podcast artwork This is the first time I've updated the main podcast artwork since the show started. So, of course, we have major pain in the giant bright yellow letters. And then at the bottom, it used to say living with chronic illness. I've updated that to read a podcast about chronic illness and disability. There have been a few times on the show where we spoke with someone who has a disability, but not a chronic illness. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, the tagline of the show was inclusive of that. And there have also been times where not having the fact that the show is a podcast on the artwork was actually a problem for me when I was posting about it in one place or another. So yeah, now it says that it is a podcast. In case there was any question, this show is indeed a podcast. Aside from the main podcast feed artwork, I also updated the template that I used to post episode artwork. I know not everybody sees this because there's so many different podcast platforms out there and this show is on a ton of them and some of them don't show individualized artwork, but I do include that in the podcast feed and it shows up on a lot of platforms out there and it's something that I really like to do. I always ask my guests if I can grab a photo to share a picture of them so you have a face to put to the voice as you're listening to the podcast. And since the very beginning of the show, as I've been doing this, I've used a similar template where the Major Pain logo is on the top center, and then there's a photo below that. And someone actually pointed out at one point that it kind of looks like I'm labeling my guest as a Major Pain, (laughs) which was not my intention. Uh, So I finally did an update to that. I finally had an idea of how to update that. I've tried different things, and it hasn't worked out. But Just tonight, as I was putting this podcast together, I had the idea, what if I put in the question, what is your major pain? So I tried it out, and I actually really like how it came out. So I'm switching up the template for the individualized podcast artwork, episode by episode. Uh, So it will now say, what is your major pain at the bottom, and have a photo of our guest above that. And in that question where it actually says major pain, I'm still using our original yellow letter logo that was designed by John and Naomi from Egg Salad Salad, which I still adore. I I just love the artwork they came up with. To me, it's totally integral to the podcast and i don't want to make any giant changes but i'm just trying out these subtle changes tightening things up as we go along with the podcast as the podcast grows and evolves i feel like it's nice to have this subtle visual makeover at the beginning of season three one more thing that i'm experimenting with is publishing this podcast on youtube i just posted up the first couple episodes youtube actually within the last couple of weeks has added a podcast feature So you can turn any playlist on YouTube into a podcast, and then it will also be published on YouTube Music as a podcast. This seemed like a good opportunity to reach a new audience, so I decided to give it a try, even though it is a huge amount of work, because (laughs) YouTube assumes that all podcasts are video podcasts, so you can't just upload audio, you have to upload a video. So I first experimented just posting the first episode, and that seemed to go well, so I uh, I then created an animation for the background for episode two and beyond, and I'm working on going through the catalog one episode at a time, applying this background animation, putting the podcast art up, putting up a title and a picture of the person that is being interviewed, and then uploading them to YouTube. Starting a new channel is always a painful thing as a content creator, because you have to put up a lot of content that probably won't be seen by very many people. Uh, you know, there's nothing worse than putting some time and effort into something and posting it up and having that view count stay at zero. So I would love your help getting some attention on the YouTube channel for Major Pain Podcast. You can find it youtube.com slash at Major Pain Podcast just by subscribing. That would be a huge help. If you want to put the podcast on, listen to some old episodes, uh, You know, that's a great help as well. Or even just, you know, you can play it in the background and not pay attention or just put it on mute and let it play. I don't care. <laughs> I'm just trying to tell the algorithm that the show is there and that it is worth listening to. And I would love your help with that. My goal with this year of the podcast is to reach new listeners to grow this podcast, grow our community, and I'm going to be trying everything I can think of to do that. But as always, what it all comes down to is you, the listeners. Your support is what keeps this show going. Patreon is a great way to support the show financially, and of course, extra special thank you to our Patreon producers, Steve Kavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia, who are continuing to support this show, and I'm so grateful. But helping the show grow on social media is another amazing way to support us. Uh, we have a great TikTok channel that I'm very proud of. I do some uh posting of not just the episodes, but health updates and you know, little glimpses into my health journey over on TikTok. You can follow us on Instagram where I post up the show descriptions and the images from each episode of the show. And both TikTok and Instagram, you can find us at Major Pain Podcast. We also do still have a Twitter at Major Pain Pod. I was really close to deleting the Twitter. <laughs> I'm just so up and down with the Twitter. Um, but I got one message from someone on Twitter saying they found the show through Twitter and were interested in appearing on the show. And I'm hoping to make that appearance happen. But, you know, it, with this podcast, I feel like one person being reached is worthwhile, uh, because the whole, purpose of this podcast is to help people feel less alone. So if anyone finds it on any platform, then suddenly that platform becomes valuable in a way that it wasn't before. So all of the links to our social media are posted in every podcast episode in the show notes. And your support on these platforms helps us reach new listeners and is so appreciated. And of course, one of the best ways to reach new listeners is for you to leave a positive rating and review wherever it is that you listen to this podcast. If you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, I will see it and share it on the show. Or if you'd like to leave a review on any other platform, take a screenshot, email it to me at majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to share that as well. I know I can be a bit of a broken record sometimes saying a lot of these things in every episode, but I just really believe in this project. I love this podcast. I get such joy from creating this show every single conversation I have with every guest that has ever appeared has brought something wonderful to my life. I love the conversations themselves more than anything. And I want this to grow and grow and grow. I want to build a career doing this. I want to be able to support myself financially by doing this. And I want to have enough income coming in from this show to give back to the community. I don't think I've ever said this on the show before, but in the back of my mind, since starting this show, I've had this idea in my head of, you know, what if I could provide some financial support to the chronic illness community? Like, what if we could, through the podcast, fundraise enough money to not just support my needs as the creator of this show, but maybe give a little back, maybe purchase genetic testing for someone in need? That's the type of thing that I would want to do, um, you know, buy wheelchairs for people. This is all pie-in-the-sky stuff, because I'm still only making, you know, a couple hundred bucks per month off of this podcast. And of course, I haven't worked in over six years because of my chronic illness. So my first priority has to be finding a way to, you know, fund my time doing this so I can keep doing this. But I know that there's so much that we as a community could do if there were financial resources behind this. So yeah, I've been doing some research. I'm trying to find sponsorships. Uh, I'm Looking for new ways to grow the podcast. And, you know, I feel like the best way for that to happen is for us to work together. Uh, You know, help me support the show. Help me by sharing it, by following us on social media, by joining the Patreon. And let's see how far we can take this together. So if you have ideas for sponsorships or grants or anything that you think might be a good fit for this podcast to help us to grow and to bring in more financial support to keep this going, please reach out majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. If you're listening to this show and you have a diagnosed illness of any kind and you're interested in participating in research studies and surveys where you will get paid for your time, I hope you will check out Rare Patient Voice. If you use our affiliate link, rarepatientvoice.com slash major pain podcast, then you will be supporting this show while you sign up. You fill out your information, tell them about your diagnosis, and then wait to be contacted to participate in a research study or survey. And if you are contacted, you can be paid up to $120 per hour for your time. It's a great program, something that I'm very proud to support. So far, it's been our first and only long-term partnership with the podcast. And I'm, I'm very excited that all the people I've heard from who have participated have had great experiences. So yeah, thank you to Rare Patient Voice. I'll remind you as always that my guests and I are not medical professionals. So please do not take any medical action based off of what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, let's get our season three kickoff party started by talking with Andrew for his health updates. Andrew, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. It's, uh, it's actually really, really great to be here. Let's see. You were in season one, episode 38. So it's been a while. And something interesting about this podcast, you know, I, I have all these amazing, intimate conversations with people that I've never met before, and then I sometimes never see them again. <laughs> so I love yeah. getting to catch up with people. And, you know, like we're all actual human beings who get to talk again. So this is this is exciting. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad you're here.
3: Yeah, I, I'm excited to be here, too, because um, for me, actually doing the podcast was uh, being interviewed by you and uh, the way you ask questions, the way your other guests uh, talk about their life and their challenges uh, really helped me through uh, challenging times in the middle of COVID, getting a brain scan, um, understanding that um, you know, I got divorced, um, partly because my skills were fading, my social skills, my focus skills, my sensory systems were on overload, like light sensitivity and sound sensitivity and, and just kind of a huge wave of, um, life stress kind of, kind of collapsed me. Wow. And, and being able to, um, talk about it and listen back to myself talking about it um, was very hard to want to go listen to yourself, but it was also super therapeutic um, for me personally, of doing it and um, rebuilding my sense of self. Because I had brain injury way back to being a kid. Um, So there's like new experiences as my brain is slowly recalibrating and building new networks together or calming them down just so they aren't on fire and and uh PTSD kind of alert um like it keeps feeling like there's this new sense of self developing so it's it's kind of cosmic in
1: in a lot of ways wow that's um, amazing i i'm overwhelmed to hear that the podcast has been so helpful thank you so much for telling me that and i'm so glad that yeah, coming on the show yeah, was a positive experience yeah and listening to all your other guests
3: um i've uh, i haven't been able to keep up with all of them but um but i do jump in and um there's a backlog of like five or six really interesting episodes talking sometimes they're they're uh, more far targeted on the brain but, but i have a backlog of ones that i want to listen to
1: awesome um well how how have you been what's changed since you've been on the show I've done a lot of tango dancing, um, (laughs) through COVID. Um, and that
3: was socially really pushing through a lot of, uh, it felt like fear. It felt like social anxiety. I now think of it as, um, oh, that's my brain struggling. It's not Mm. my root personality level of being an introvert or, uh, um, you know, scaredy cat or something like that. It's like, oh, that's my brain overwhelmed. Um, so I feel like I have a lot more self-compassion of like um instead of negative stories that you tell um I I still need to work on the positive reframing of of everything about my life um but it feels like there's a new self developing so if I stick with the old Andrew it's kind of like the wrong the wrong um sense of self
1: Um, fascinating
3: yeah, so it's uh it feels it feels really really good to have done something like tango and kept pushing through it to um t- tango like forces your brain to integrate left and right, m- listening to music, getting a dance with eye contact. Um I feel like my brain's is speeding up. Um, mm. I feel like I can hear music more clearly. My feet can actually step on the beat and it it feels like i'm kind of coming back alive Um, but it's a very slow process it's like it's like um it's not like one one treatment or one vitamin has has shifted me um and i don't think any one treatment would have done much um it's like you need to you need to work on a huge constellation of issues for every medical condition just being human (laughs) and yourself.
1: I Um, totally agree. Yeah. I felt the same way about my, my situation recently where I'm on this like kaleidoscope of medication and I keep trying to pull out one at a time to see if I need it. And then I get worse and then I go back on it. And if I were to just take one of any of these, it would provide a little bit of benefit, but not necessarily pull me out of a state of, you know, being so flared up that I'm not really functional but all of it right. together is helping. And over the last couple of weeks, right. you know, I, I had been doing so well that I started doing some exercise, like jogging. And I uh-huh. stopped because I was so busy prepping for this move into my, uh, my new house that my partner Andy and yeah. I are moving to. Um, and I, I've been doing a lot of work at the house. So, I stopped exercising. And then my health started mm-hmm. to decline, even though I was being uh-huh. really active. It's like right. even, even that physical piece, like the physical activity was hugely helpful the actual exercise yeah. you know 20 minutes of jogging is better than 4 hours of you know yeah. sanding wood <laughs> as far as getting my well, my health benefit from it
3: yeah and and sometimes it's like you get 3 minutes of exercise and you're like totally stoked and it's oh, like yeah. oh my god I'm, I'm, I'm on a on a great trajectory and then the next day for brain um issues it's like uh back to square square zero it totally feels like.
1: Oh yeah. The fact that I'm even saying out loud that I jogged for 20 minutes is still shocking to me. Cause like that was not even in the realm of possibility for over six years.
3: Yeah. So there's like for my, my brain injury, there's um, like, there's the generic thing of exercise helps everything. Um, but if you have a chronic condition, sometimes exercise like sends your body into dysregulation and flare. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so it's not, like a therapy, you, you, everybody can do right at the moment. It's like you gotta, you gotta, um, like especially for concussions and brain injuries, you gotta, you gotta, I don't wanna even say push yourself. You have to try to expand your physiology, brain capabilities. Like you aren't, you aren't triggering an immune system response, you aren't, tr- um, uh metabolic like spike of glucose or a crash of energy um so it's really hard to get out of chronic issues because you try you try something and it, it may not be the whole constellation that you need and then it doesn't work or you try something and like okay I'm going to do some exercise and then you flare out and yeah. it's
1: like uh, this is have exercise and talk. this is so wise um, so true yeah. I, I agree with this a thousand percent this is exactly my experience yeah. of like I couldn't exercise. I could get a little bit of movement, but I couldn't really exercise yeah. for my whole flare up. And we now think, yeah. you know, if we're correct about me having mast cell activation syndrome, um, it's because I needed to be on mast cell stabilizing medication before I could exercise. And and now and before like
3: before you can no-
1: notice any difference of what
3: what the variables are when yeah. your body's just on alarm. It's yep. like so so deafening. Yeah. That- you can't tell what foods you eat does it flare no everything's just terrible when you're yeah yeah exactly a condition it's so hard to to get through these mysteries and I think that's what's hearing hearing so many people on your podcast of like um some are getting through some have gotten through some are in another cycle and um and I learned so much of good coping
1: strategies um, from different guests on your show too. I do too. Um, absolutely. I, I learned so much from everyone who comes on the show. Um, yeah. I, I remember very vividly talking about biohacking with you. Um, yeah. I think you're the only person on the podcast I've talked to who, who brought this up, this idea of biohacking. Uh-huh. Um, how yeah. has that been going? Have you, you know, ex- been expanding your experimentation? Have you found any supplements or medications, uh, that are helpful? Yeah, I've added in
3: more things, but I've kept like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, kept cycling on and off different nutritional supplements, um, kept experimenting with uh, nootropics. And those are a little more targeted, like some of them are failed Alzheimer's drugs. So they kind of boost cognition, or improve your choline um, metabolic source to fuel your brain. So I've, I've continued with experimenting with those kind of going on and off and figuring it out the last few months. I've tried some gummy and THC mm. um, and one time the, the first time I took a little too much and I was fairly high dancing tango <laughs> and it, it was one of those cosmic moments where mm. I felt like I could actually dance with the follow mm. I could think about the music and kind of like your geometry engine of what's creating your your sense of self and where you are in the cosmos felt like it it aligned into like a single point Hmm. um and um and I was like crying while I was dancing it was just a tango practica too it wasn't it wasn't a it was an epic night but it was all internal (laughs) it kind of feels like that's such a deep brain restructuring like like sometimes with a brain injury, um, you're forced to relearn how to walk and relearn how to talk. So listening to other survivors of brain injury helped me like, yeah, okay. If they can relearn to walk and talk, then there's hope for everybody mm. <laughs> that you can change your brain and change how it's responding, um, how neuro inflamed it is. And I think there's so much neuroinflammation that's caused by our own bodies that we just think of it as like, oh, that's, you have a cold, it'll go away. And it's like, yeah, but that's also your brain swelling. Um, and that can give you different symptoms of um, uh, headache, migraine, um, pressure, you know, ocular stuff, because the pressure changes. And like, if you have a spinal leak or something like, everything can be inflamed um but it's all kind of generic but people aren't treating the the brain symptoms um Mm -hmm. they're like oh you're nauseous that'll go away that's your hormones um and it's like yeah those are related but but can we can we calm my brain down and and the brain regulates most of the hormones um so you kind of have to like work on the constellation of issues yeah um and and that's that's kind of uh my biohacking approach is like I don't know what works I don't think any one of these approaches is that powerful um hyperbaric oxygen therapy is good uh, but it's not like a cure it's just giving your body oxygen um and your body kind of needs to heal itself And I think you're probably feeling some of this when you've toned down all your mast cell immune system, constant flare. It's like your brain can start to reorganize and think. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And exercise. And, you know, minutes a day and actually exercising. Yeah. And, um, and I'm still trying to push that limit without like, um, flaring out. Um, and, uh, and so that's that's still something that I'm not working I'm not employed yet but it feels like I'm becoming more capable to be resilient for a whole day yep and like maybe I could flip hamburgers under the fluorescent lights because my (laughs) life you know um whereas you know when I did the podcast it was it was like everything was vibrating with stress in my body yeah um and I'm still doing yoga it's not like a cure but it's like um uh my right shoulder is still like my body's not symmetric because um my brain's not symmetric so it's so there's all these kinds of neuro optical things that are so tied into our sense of self that I I don't really believe any of the terms of mental health anymore like depression Mm. to me that's like um there's thousands of causes for depression. It could be a virus could be um, mold that's like constantly there. Um, And if you're beyond just depression, your body could be, um, you know, being autoimmune and like kind of biting itself at some point. Um, So so much of the brain therapies to me are very generic, and they just calm all the neurology support you with nutrition and like try to get rid of the toxins that you're eating and and pesticides or blue dye number you know <laughs> 22 or whatever so it, it feels like really good news to come back on uh, and, and and see you again and yeah and, chat and totally and here you're also um making progress and experimenting and uh able to do some awesome life things of like some some house house tasks or something or or yeah. uh, just walking up the stairs to a, a house i know is sometimes like uh incredible and 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 you couldn't have
1: done it it really feels like to me like specific uh medication was the thing that i needed to to get out of that so that I could start to treat the rest of my body more holistically, but without that medication, without that, that leap of trying something um, that seemed likely like I, you know, I likely would never have broken out of that cycle, which is horrifying. Um, But, you know, I'm just so grateful to be in a better place now um, through like direct medical intervention that allowed me to kind of approach the rest of the, Of my body and say okay now what can i do you know now that i have some energy and things are working now what can i do to move forward in a in a more healthy positive way
3: that's that's some of what's hard i think um listening to your guests and like there's there's so much power in a specific diagnosis or a specific medicine but it's also useful to just treat your situation in a very generic way and Mm. like um, I'm going to support my brain, so that let's let's do a brain healthy diet, and we'll start stop eating potential allergens. I don't know if I react to corn or tomatoes or nightshades, um, and uh, you know start avoiding sugar because sugar is not good for your brain. Um, stop avoiding alcohol because alcohol is bad for your brain. Um, smoking marijuana um, is also bad for your brain, but it's can be used as a pain or therapeutic medicine. So like all these issues are, um, kind of nuanced and, and really challenging of like what's, what, when a medicine can actually injure you over the long term. And that's some of the antidepressant antipsychotic stuff that helps anxiety, um, some of those dysregulate your brain over time too Mm. and then then you have withdrawal symptoms right but we don't think of it that way as like um uh let's 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 start treating everybody's brain as 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 the core medical medical uh organ to, to work on you know the, Ooh, the core. it's not the heart probably it's the brain that that, mm. uh, that, uh, that I feel that that is, is being under undervalued and,
1: and stuff like that so. and probably the the organ that we know the least about as far as how it functions yeah. which yeah further complicates that I, I'm so yeah. curious to hear more about what you mentioned looking back on your past self and your current self and how it's kind of like two different mm-hmm. uh, versions of you. Um, I'm curious to hear more about the difference between them and and who you feel like now versus who you used to be
3: well, it's uh it's emerging. So I think it's kind of like a crossfade um situation. so every every moment is um is a potential kind of um, uh, new experience. Uh, so so tango has been one of my core things that I look at. And some of that's like going, going to a dance. Um, I've gotten to know a lot of people. So, so there's, it's more fun socially. I, my eyes, I am not wearing my special Irland, um, tinted glasses, um, because my brain doesn't feel as light. sensitive. Hmm. Um, so that's one, that's an example where, where, um, I never understood why I didn't like sunglasses but I, like going to Hawaii was always kind of like, like fatigue. And I remember hiding in the, in the hotel room, kind of like, like with the lights off and the air conditioning on, because the, the heat can be just Um And light can be hard when you're have migraines or, or your brain just isn't resourced. Um, And so that's an experience of like where where i i have a new experience of like oh my gosh i'm i'm having fun at a tango dance this has never happened (laughs) like a natural smile where i'm feeling like i'm walking on the beat and having a, a dialogue between the the partner that i'm dancing with like like my brain is sensitive enough to feel where they are in space and respond without freaking out and dropping the rhythm and and you know going into brain overload right so yeah so it feels like i can multitask in ways oh this this was, this is a good one like um i started a new relationship um and uh it, it, going through divorce and covid was, was terrible and then understanding it was a brain injury on top um i i uh started hanging out with a, a new woman and started having sex again. And um, that was incredibly challenging from uh, trying to be brave and not um, run away from a uh, relationship stuff. But like driving home from, you know, my second virginity is what it feels like of um, making love with a woman. It's like the stoplights were like so red and green, like the whole world felt alive because like, oh my God, but my brain was flooded with lovely chemicals right Mm. (laughs) and it's um and it felt like an experience that i never had before um and like driving home like the grateful dead some live album from um kbcs or something in bellevue uh comes on and it's like my brain is like oh my gosh this is like i understand the grateful dead and (laughs) and it was just it's just this funny impression like my my um my brain seems to get these strong impressions like uh have you checked out mast cell activation syndrome and I would send you an email with some links or something yeah, like yeah. <laughs> and um, and I and I know you didn't like on on un, un, uh unrequested medical information or something like that um so I still feel very impulsive but it's also like calming down and being able to dance with somebody else with a, uh, a relaxed body, with a mind that's tracking the music, with um, some ability to remember to breathe while I dance. Cause because like I would stop, stop breathing when I'm concentrating uh, is some of the stuff that I probably learned as a child to um, stabilize my eyes so I can try to read or listen you know like there's there's so much challenge of being human yeah that's so true we have to calm our bodies down calm our minds down call different different parts of your minds down um and try to reintegrate so it feels like I've developed new skills of like learning how to how to tango dance learning how to have a relationship again Learning, learning that a lot of my challenges were due to some, some brain injuries, and your brain isn't calibrated. So, the signals are kind of just noisy and struggling.
1: When you look back on the person you were compared to the person you're, that is emerging yeah. now, how do you feel about your past yeah. self? Do you have anger towards him, empathy towards him? Um,
3: I have a lot of empathy. I, I, I have a lot of empathy for my old self and even my current self because I'm not, I don't have a perfectly working brain. I think most people don't. Um, you know, what, what is a normal brain? It's in America, it's probably not very healthy. (laughs) (laughs) We could, we could all improve our, our brain function. So, um, yeah, looking back at myself, um, yeah, a lot of it's a deep compassion and i think some of that comes from from doing your podcast and trying to help others in facebook groups or um you know listening to other stories people's stories helped me get through um with some of that self-compassion that's a little deeper than just talking about it because i because i think talk therapy is a useful tool but it also needs your allergies to be treated Your car accident your minor whiplash injury that's giving you dysautonomia in your neck it just feels like you had a bad soundboard and you're trying to make a concert (laughs) and whatever dial you tuned up was like there was components weird components in the in the system that are just like dead (laughs) like oh there's no signal why um or noisy like or or there's feedback on one of the systems that's To me kind of like a chronic pain feedback Mm. um where you get your body and brain gets in a loop that's kind of a social biological chemical um brain brain pattern and you kind of need to do all of them um and and address the root cause of of um what is antagonizing your body
1: i don't know yeah fascinating Um, andrew it's so good to catch up with you i I love hearing about where you're at. I'm so excited to hear that you're heading in, a, in this positive direction, that this new you is emerging. And I'm so happy to hear that you have compassion and empathy for the old you, because I think that that is so important. Um, and I feel like you and I are kind of experiencing some sim- similar things right now, where I feel like this new, yeah. new me is emerging. And yeah. I find myself um, recognizing things about the old me that I really liked, that I want to take with me into this new me. And having yeah. empathy for the version of me that wasn't able to show up uh, in, my, in yeah. my own life anywhere near as much as I would have yeah. liked. Um, and I hear a lot of that similar stuff coming from you. And I just, I think that that's amazing. And yeah. I just, you know, I'm so excited to catch up with you and to hear that things are heading in this positive direction. And I just feel like a lot of these things that are bouncing around in your mind right now are, are so positive and wonderful. And that's just amazing to hear
3: yeah yeah and and um a lot a a good chunk of it is is uh interacting with uh hearing other stories wow um like it 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 is uh in my opinion it is kind of a uh a therapy Mm -hmm. um for you and for for people to have social connections like like when when you don't have social connections it's part of your brain and that's that's like uh you know it's not just your chemistry yeah that um it's so important that human- absolutely i totally yeah. agree it's like everything overlaps in the brain so yeah i don't know that's kind of my dated message is that hey i'm i'm not i don't have a new brain i've got a brain that's a little more calibrated and that is amazing this is kind of the the uh message that yeah <laughs> that i, I love it
1: i think that's it so so cool you don't you know, if, if, you're, if your brain is a mixing board, you don't throw away the mixing board, like this beautiful vintage analog mixing board, you don't throw it away and, and you know, get a new cheap digital one off of Amazon. You, you keep the one that you have yeah. and you clean up those connections and you rewire the, yeah. the places that need to be rewired and you make that board mm-hmm. sound beautiful again. Um, and I, I'm yeah, an audio engineer, so I love this analogy. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, Andrew would have been your power noisy power supply too yeah yeah, yeah noisy power supply so you gotta lower that noise floor i also have to thank you for yeah. um you've been a huge part of the show all throughout the second season because you were the first voice that we heard in every single episode with your little quote yeah. saying uh my major pain has been invisible that was you <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um and that's that's
3: what makes some of the new
1: self so
3: fascinating that oh my gosh I I understand the grateful dead now. What <laughs> like I don't I don't know um it, it, it's so so the brain is such a weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I it's amazing.
1: Uh, That's so true and I love getting your perspective on it and I think sharing that um sharing an update on that perspective yeah. has been super valuable. So, thank you so much for coming back on the show and sharing your update with us. I really really appreciate it.
3: Yeah, good luck. Good luck in your upcoming, upcoming move and and uh, expanding your your capabilities again. Thank you.
1: Amy, welcome back to the podcast.
2: Hi, thank you for having me back.
1: Yes. So let's remind everyone about your first podcast. You were here talking about psoriatic disease, psoriasis, and um, psoriatic arthritis. Amazing episode. Yeah, PMDD. PMDD, PMDD, that's right. PMDD as well, yeah. Um, post-menstrual depression disorder?
2: <laughs> oh, no. premenstrual menstrual de- uh, dysphoric disorder.
1: Complete- I had it completely wrong.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I might have even said it wrong right now. But you know, the brain fog happens. It's okay.
1: <laughs> Pre- pre-menstrual. So basically getting extremely depressed- once a month.
2: Yes. Yes. And like a lot of physical symptoms as well. Like for the, like a week or two before my period, it's, it can be a nightmare, but that has been going very well, actually. Oh, like, good. I don't know. I mean, I might have an idea of what it is, but like, I'm still on birth control and I've been doing a lot of other natural things. And I think it's been very manageable and meditating a lot too. Like every night I try to sometimes I forget, but yeah, I try to really prioritize a self like care and the mental health stuff. So that's gone really manageable. It's just so other things that are now (laughs) (laughs) uh, an issue.
1: That's the way it is with chronic illness, right? You get one thing under control and nothing pop, another thing pops up, but I'm really glad to hear that that's been better because it seemed like that monthly depression was like excruciatingly bad. So I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that's improved at least.
2: Right. The suicidal thoughts have been pretty much non-existent for a few months now, Wow, which have been, which that is amazing. Like I haven't had any of those like episodes where I feel like I want to just be in bed for two weeks straight and have no will to live. So it's gotten wow. better.
1: That's amazing. So one thing has improved. Uh, but as you said, other things have popped up in their place. So Amy, what is your update on your health?
2: Well, I was recently diagnosed with colitis. Um, I had an episode in March of 2022. Um and they said it was um, diverculitis, I guess it, it's like an infection in the lower colon. And so they thought it was just a one-time thing. And then since then, there have been a few episodes of severe stomach pain, uh, beyond anything I could actually describe. And the the fatigue, I never thought that my PSA and psoriatic disease fatigue could, like that, I thought that was the max, right? But the colitis fatigue is something that I have nothing to compare it to. Like you're literally after an episode of colitis, like nodding out, like you cannot help, but just lay down. Functioning is not an option. Um, so I had a few more episodes, but I didn't have to go to the ER. I didn't have to really get medical attention for it. They were really short. And I was like, okay, yeah, this feels like colitis, but I'm, I'm okay. I'm fine. And then on in late January, um, I had a very similar episode that I had back in March of 22. And I ended up in the ER again. And finally, we're like, you know what? Like, yeah, this is colitis. They're like, but it's weird because you just had a endoscopy and colonoscopy not that long ago. and We see nothing. And I'm like, it's because it's not flaring at the time. It's so mm. hard to like schedule it when it's happening. Because um, usually by the time I get into doing a procedure or a test, it's already way after the fact. So finally, they're like, you know, it's happened a lot. And yeah, this is just you have colitis now. Yeah. And I really was hoping that wasn't going to happen like at all. Like there are times where and I'm sure you can relate where you're having health issues and all you want is an answer. Even if it's bad news, you're just like, tell me what it is already. This was something that I was like, no way. I do not want this because my father had it my entire life. I did knew my father without colitis. So I saw like how debilitating and life-consuming it could be. How colitis can make your world so small, like you just want to stay home. You can't eat. You can't do this. You can't do the other. And I didn't want that for myself. So now I find myself having arthritis, like psoriatic arthritis, and colitis, which is very linear to what my father went through, mm. and it, it stirred up a lot of you know um, latent emotions with me. So, it, it's been quite difficult emotionally more than, well, you know, physically hasn't been great either, but emotionally, <laughs> it's been really rough. <laughs>
1: yeah. What are, the, what are the symptoms of colitis? What is the layperson's definition of colitis?
2: Um, the definition is um, inflammation reaction in the colon, often autoimmune or infectious. So, that's the actual definition. Um, but the symptoms, um, for me personally, I get debilitating like the most painful stomach pains ever, ever. Like I'm sweating profusely, literally dripping, drenched, sweat, shaking. I almost feel feverish. And then afterwards I get chills and I'm shaking. Um, and after, you know, the whole episode, I'm just completely exhausted. I get uh, nauseated. Um, and I've also mentioned the fatigue is just, I think that one is, I just can't even describe how bad it is. Uh, it, functioning is not an option after mm. or during a colitis flare.
1: Yeah. That it must be so frustrating. You you've already been dealing with so much, you know, your first time on the show just hearing about everything that you've been going through your whole life, you know, making t-shirts saying that uh psoriasis is not contagious and um mm-hmm. you know, you've you've been dealing with chronic illness your whole life already. And it feels very unfair to add another one to this cake. So <laughs> um Yeah. How did you react to that when you got that diagnosis?
2: Um, I low-key was not surprised. I was expecting it. You know, colitis has been in my life in some way, shape, or form since I was born. So, like, I kind of already had a feeling. Um, I wasn't shocked, but I was kind of, like, in this numb place. You know, my mom was waiting for me in the ER, and I was more dreading telling people, especially who were well-acquainted with colitis, because I know that that was going to be very concerning. And almost a little bit of PTSD for my family, you know? Um, but I was a little bit like, okay, so accepting of it. I know what what this is going to be, but I was kind of just numb to it for a little while. Um, then weeks later, after I wasn't really feeling that much better and I was still struggling with what to eat, I have had a few breakdowns emotionally um, where I'm like, oh gosh, like, I think I'm eating a safe food and now I'm having a little mini flare and I'm in pain and I'm nauseated and I'm scared to eat. And they, those those moments have led me to like completely just sobbing. And I'm not used to that. I'm not used to crying over my health. Like it's something that I've kind of used, I'm used to it and I've accepted. So this is new for me. This like grieving, this sadness, it's just, it's been a lot. And it's yeah. kind of relatively new. It, it was technically January 27th. So it's been less than two months.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's so soon. So you're, I mean, you're still in the process of figuring out how to integrate this into your life. It sounds like diet is a big part of that.
2: Huge, huge. I'm, I'm doing that whole eliminate elimination diet trying to identify food triggers um the different okay so the difference is is that the last time I was having stomach issues was during COVID and I lost over 70 pounds I had gained a lot of weight from breaking my leg in Mexico and I was just kind of bedridden for like a you know three months and so I had a lot of weight to lose anyway so it wasn't that alarming but now that I'm at the weight that I am now I feel this huge added amount of pressure and stress about like like I need to eat I need to eat I can't lose more weight I can't lose more weight um and I never thought I would have the struggle of like trying to have as, as much calories as possible in a day, trying to meet the minimal 1200, because that's literally the minimal you can have. I'm having a hard time doing that some days. I'm kind of leaning on, um, plant-based and in, like insured drinks, like those, you know, drinks that have like a, all your like vitamins, nutrition, all that kind of stuff. I'm leaning on that a lot just to not feel ill because lots of times I'm feeling sick from malnourishment too.
1: Wow. What is the general rule of thumb for a colitis diet? Is it different for every patient? Is it you go on an elimination diet, add things back in one at a time, see if you flare? Or is there like a general list of inflammatory foods that you need to avoid?
2: I think there is a general list. And some of those things I already know from my dad growing Mm. up, like he avoided milk and cabbage and whatever. But now that I'm getting more well acquainted with the colitis diet, I realized, oh he really could have done a better job with like the <laughs> lifestyle stuff. Like he used to preach about like I take my medicine when I have to. I'm on top of my medical stuff. I go to the doctor all the time and I do what I have to do and I'm like, now I'm looking at it like wait a minute, guy. You were eating ice cream and and salsa and like ha- really high fiber things when you were having in a flare, you know? Like fiber is good, but not during a flare. Like the last thing you want is like stomach contractions and going to the bathroom a lot when you have a flare. So like there are things now I'm like realizing, okay, he could have done this better. It's really clear. It's really telling. Like it's giving me such a big insight on my dad a little bit, <laughs> but um yeah. So basically the common uh, flare foods or not flare foods, but the common trigger foods are th- like cabbage, spicy, dairy, high fat. Um, what else is there? just really gassy foods in general, like beans. Um, But there is a level of like individual, it it is a little bit individualized though, because although I am allergic to dairy, dairy doesn't trigger my colitis. Because I I still sneak dairy in every now and again, because I just want to. And if if I don't have anything planned the next day and I can worth the risk of possibly having a flare, I do it sometimes. But um, so dairy doesn't uh, trigger anything in me, but I have noticed that garlic, bell pepper, onions um like this especially if i eat chili with seeds in it i can eat spicy foods as long as the seeds aren't in it i've noticed um what else oh beef oh my gosh i had in and out once oh my gosh i thought i was going to die <laughs> <laughs> um so it is like there you do have to play around a little
0: bit
1: yeah i've been going through something a little similar for a very different reason recently with the low histamine diet so i'm relating to what you're saying about not knowing where your calories are going to come from, um,
3: mm-hmm.
1: like when you don't have that many safe foods, like what do you eat? <laughs> I know I have to cook pretty much every meal for myself, and whenever I eat out, I pay the consequences. I haven't quite figured that out yeah. yet. Um, I found like one safe thing that I can eat out, which is luckily tacos because you know Mexican food is oh, still yeah, my you favorite. Love tacos. I love tacos, <laughs> but like I'm getting tacos with just. Just, like, tortilla, meat, and, like, onion, cilantro, and that's it. Like, street tacos. Um, yeah. Because I can't have, you know, anything fermented, so, like, no salsa. Um, oh.
0: No.
1: Yeah. But it, and that's, that's the one thing that I have found that I can kind of safely eat out. Or, like, a plain bagel. <laughs> yeah. Actually, cream cheese is low histamine, so, like, bagel and cream cheese. But I have to do that gluten-free. Um, so, I guess that's two things that I've found. But besides that, I'm kind of, like, cooking every meal for myself. And even just the other day, I was at a restaurant with uh, my partner's family and um, everyone's eating and I'm kind of waiting until there's one thing that looks relatively safe. And then I have some of that. And then two hours later, I'm flaring and I don't know why. Because if I'm not controlling every ingredient that goes into food, I don't know if it's going to be safe or not. Um, And I'm just coming out of flaring all day, every day for six years. And now it's like I'm having breaks in between and it is wild to feel better that way. But then when I eat the wrong thing, boom, it's back, you know?
0: Yeah, um, so, it's so stressful.
2: I don't think yeah. people realize how stressful this is. It really, really, really is. I My safe food list is so short right now. And even sometimes those safe foods confuse me where I'm like, hold on a second. Because, you know, sometimes when you don't eat for a while, you, your tummy gets upset when you actually do. yeah. So sometimes it's hard to tell. Is this something to do with colitis? Or is this something to do with the fact that I haven't had like a good solid meal for a while? You is know? there
1: is there medication that can help with this?
2: Yeah, and actually there's a good amount of them that also help with psoriatic disease. So like I kind of should find one that works with both. The only problem is is that my insurance. So like the stuff that I see on TV, you know, for colitis and for psoriatic disease, it's kinda like, Oh, they're not gonna approve me for that. You know what I mean? So Wow, that's really uh, and it's an autoimmune disease. It's an autoimmune disease. So so what would help? With for psoriatic disease, should help with colitis. Not all of the medications, of course, but there's a lot of similar treatments.
1: Wow. Um, I will say, every time I see a commercial on TV for psoriatic disease, I think of you now.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. You know how many people have told me that too? I mean, it makes me feel <laughs> special. Like, I, it's nice. It's nice that, like, because those commercials pop up a lot. So, like, yeah. it's nice to be thought about everyone's. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well,
1: I'll tell you that I, I've also had some issue getting medication for mast cell activation. And I've been denied medication several times. But then Ugh. my doctor went back and wrote a letter saying, this is why this patient needs this and got it overturned a couple times. So sometimes, you know, fighting oh. with insurance works.
2: No, no, yeah. Not, not that, Actually, we, not every, no, definitely not every time. No, one time my, I had a dermatologist that fought for me really hard and he got approved. But ultimately, that medication started giving me really terrible side effects. So I had to stop. But I always appreciated that very much.
1: Yeah, totally. Just not all
2: doctors are willing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, there's there's a long road ahead. Like, you're you're testing all these foods. You're going to hopefully test out some medications. I mean, ideally, maybe find something that works out for both if you can get insurance to approve it. Um, Right. But that takes time. You know, like, that's the frustrating part about a new diagnosis is that once you get the name, you get the word to put to the thing. Like, mm-hmm. I keep bringing this up, but that's the beginning of the journey of learning how mm-hmm. to live with that thing. So, you're kind of right at the beginning still.
2: Right. No, I'm very much fresh at the beginning of this, which it's been a while since I've had a, a diagnosis. Like, think about it. Like, I had my first situation with psoriasis at 12, but I didn't get diagnosed with 17. But psoriasis has been in my life since I was 12. Then, And I've had PSA symptoms for long before I was um, – Uh, diagnosed, but I was diagnosed at 22. I am now 35. I am so, I I have not had to deal with a new chronic illness diagnosis in a long time. So this is my, I'm actually feel kind of new to it because as an adult, I don't know, I've never navigated it yet. So this is very fresh. And I think it also just added, it adds a little salt to the wound that my father went through it. You know, like it's just a very multi-layered, complicated, emotional, exhausting uh, journey so far
1: wow yeah can you tell me more about the insight this has given you into your father
2: oh you know there, there, there's okay so i get compared to my dad a lot a lot a lot um we're both the middle children we you know uh we we're both Sagittarius's we're both like pretty funny and like energetic people but we also have like a a very stressed outside to us um Sometimes I feel like he wasn't keeping it real with himself as far as like what a good patient he was. Um, I, I I feel like he was being a little lazy and I know I don't I hate talking about him like this, but I feel like he was being a little lazy about it. And also like he would say things they would he would kind of um, make it our problem or our stress to make sure he's not stressed because stress is a huge colitis trigger. Like literally I will be, I'll get like, I recently got a text from someone this week and I think it also had to do with my dog being put down and someone else texting me some like, you know, really annoying thing. And I kid you not, within seconds I had stomach pains and I was sweating profusely. And I was like, oh gosh, stress is a huge problem for me. Like I really need to, you know, prioritize stress management because it is actively- Instantly affecting my health. So I kind of look at it like, you know, I don't think he was taking a lot of responsibility for his own stuff when it came to colitis. And I really feel like um, maybe he was he might have been misguided with his doctors. It's, it's hard to say because he's gone. But I, I I have missed him a lot in this because I wish I could talk to him about it. And I wish I could be like, well, why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you do that? Or like, how did you deal deal with this? And how did you deal with that? Because I was much too young to to know his, like to value his experience. I didn't know that I was going to deal with that one day. Um, So yeah, and a a part of me also gets a little scared because I don't want to end up like he did. Um, I feel like, I feel like he just let it get the best of him. And I, it controlled our life. You know, We our life was so tiny. Like, I know I said that earlier. Kaladis has a way of making your life small. But, he, but his situation, he made it tiny. We were so isolated. He, a Mental and emotional health, stress management was not on his radar at all. But he was old school. He was born 1956, you know. So I wish that he was still around, that I could have helped him through it. Or we could have helped each other through it. So, yeah, it's... It's I'm still I mean, you could tell I'm still processing it because I I've been actually crying about it a lot when it comes to my father. Things have been triggering me where I I think about him and I feel such an immense amount of like sympathy and sorrow for him. Um, because I part of me just didn't think I just don't think he knew better.
1: Yeah. And it can be so hard to be the only one who's sick in a room, you know.
2: Absolutely. He was. Yeah. He was, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's so fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, yeah, I've had to do a lot of thinking about the way that I exist in a room where when I'm sick and other people aren't because I've been that way a lot, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I know,
2: I know the feeling now for sure. I totally have empathy now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's hard to, it's hard to have empathy for other people going through something you don't understand. It's hard to have empathy for yourself when you're going through something that no one else is. It's hard not to feel like it's your fault when it absolutely is not, um, yeah. And it it's so complicated because you also likely inherited this. You know, it, it uh-huh. seems like if your dad had these exact issues that you very likely inherited that genetically, and that's a complicated thing as well where it's like, yeah, I wish I could talk to my dad about this thing, but uh-huh. but there's also this side of it that like you may maybe got this from your dad. Is that a complicated right. feeling?
2: Oh, gosh, a little bit. It'll Yeah, because like there's a lot of things that, about myself that I've inherited from him that I'm like, oh, God, I wish I wasn't like this. <laughs> 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 you know, like, but the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I get compared to my dad all the time in the most amazing ways, but also in the bad ways. And I'm like, hold on a second. I'm much more involved than that, that than he was. Like, I really am. Like, I am I, much more self-aware and like, hold on, Amy, you're being so stubborn right now. And I can like kind of reel it back. You know, I, I try and get in touch with my emotions. I've gotten like, you know, help from therapists. He was just very closed off in that way. And also he was a man and a Mexican man at that born in Mexico, Mexico, you know? So like there are differences, but um, yeah, I I sometimes do get a little resentful about some of that stuff. Uh, My relationship with my father was very complicated. I've actually talked about it in a good Rx article that i was interviewed for oh cool Um, and i felt very very guilty about it to be honest Mm. um i was just talking from the heart and seeing it in writing i was like oh my gosh if my what if my uncles see this or like my cousins or like are are they going to be upset that i talked about dad like this um i wasn't trash talking him i was just being very honest that uh, our life revolved around him and he was very very unhappy you know, he was very negative. He focused on all like the, you know, our life was just revolved around his misery sometimes. And it was really, there was not a lot of income sometimes or time for the children or for my mom. So, and it isolated us. He was, he was embarrassed. He was ashamed of his physical limitations and he put a lot of stock into his appearance growing up. And so getting, becoming chronically ill and having his you know, joints get twisted up and not being able to play soccer or do all the things that he loved was embarrassing to him. So he decided to isolate and said, okay, everybody else too.
1: Yeah. And it's an old school
2: Mexican household, you know? So we just said, okay, and went along with it. So yeah, it's a very complicated situation to deal with for sure. And like I said, I think you can hear in my voice and I'm still like, takes me time to kind of think about what you're asking me because I'm still very much in the beginning stages of what's going on.
1: Absolutely. And I just want to make sure everyone who knows that is listening to this, I I tell every guest when we record that they have editorial control. Nothing gets to the final episode that the guest is not comfortable with. And I always check in after recording. So if you're hearing me say this right now, then I didn't cut this out because I checked with Amy after to make sure that she was okay (laughs) with this going out there. And if we check in and she says no, then you're not hearing this and I can stop talking about it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you also made me think of something else that I think is so important, which is that um being healthy is not necessarily the most important thing in my opinion being happy is more important than being healthy i think that you can Mm -hmm. be healthy and miserable but i think that you can be incredibly sick and very happy and
2: one thousand percent
1: yeah that's been my my goal with my trajectory with chronic illness during my six-year flare-up became how do i become happy with this horrible thing that's happening to me that i can't control and i made huge strides And now that I'm feeling better, it's like shaking some of that foundation in a way that I wouldn't have expected, you know, where I'm Mm -hmm. having moments of like absolute elation when I'm feeling Mm -hmm. so good that I can do a thing. But then I push too hard, I flare, and then I have moments of like crushing defeat. And like the terror of, did I break this, you know, this like fragile piece that has been Right. Uh, negotiated between myself and my body, you know it's so
2: complicated. Right, right. um
1: And those ups and downs can be really disorienting. So, mm-hmm. I, and I'm trying to just keep reminding myself. It's like, dude, you're feeling better. You know, you're getting more done. Mm-hmm. It's okay if you lost today because you had five days in a row of feeling good, and you haven't had that in six years. So, yeah, chill out and take take the win. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm already like finding myself falling into these patterns of like, no, I need to do everything. I need to do more because that's like our society and that doesn't work for me and I keep <laughs> bashing my head against that wall and trying to trying to turn back a little bit. So anyway, health is so destabilizing in in ways that you wouldn't expect. And doing better and doing worse can both bring about emotional process that you have to go through to kind of figure out where your equilibrium is and how to find it again. So, yeah, of course, having a new diagnosis, even though it's been like 13-something years since your last diagnosis, of course, that's going to be an upheaval. But I, I'm fascinated that that happened at this moment when you have made progress with PMDD because uh-huh. it's like the cosmic scales are giving you at least a break in one way. You know, yes, uh-huh. having this new diagnosis, that sucks. But having this on top of the, the emotional turmoil that you were going through before would have been so much harder, you know? And Oh, gosh. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I, right.
1: I don't know if I've ever, you know, you were one of the guests that I was more worried about hearing the way that you described your PMDD. You know, that sounded so awful. And it's, people don't understand that having emotional symptoms as part of a chronic illness is horrifying. It's like out of your mm-hmm. control. People think, oh, you just learn to control your emotions. That's not it at all. Like, there's a process <laughs> happening in your body that is ripping away your control of your emotions. It doesn't matter, you know, how much work you do, that, you, that process will still be happening. It's like finding a way to alter that process is the best way towards learning how to manage the emotional symptoms. And yeah, absolutely, therapy is crucial throughout all of that because while you're learning to find that balance, you know, there's nothing else you can do but bear through it. You know, like, like right. just get yourself into a tank and break through that wall once a month and hope to protect yourself. And, you know, the way you were describing that in your first episode was horrifying to me. And I'm, I'm thrilled that you have made progress in that. Have you thought about this balance at all? The fact that this thing has kind of happened at this moment when this other thing was kind of becoming better.
2: Uh, It just, uh, the first thing that comes to mind, it just doesn't feel fair. You know, it just doesn't feel fair, but, um, I'm grateful that it's happening when I'm more well-equipped, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because like you said, it would have been so detrimental to my mental health had it been happening when I was in those really deep emotional places. But um, I will also say this, that when you're chronically ill, and I'm speaking for myself, the good days and the little things make me so much happier than oh, yeah. able-bodied people. Like, I think there's, a lot of them are used to feeling good, right? Like, they, they take the little things for granted. But, like, for me, the tiniest things bring me elation and, like, excitement because, like, you know, a lot of days are really dark.
0: Yeah. Really,
2: really dark. And it could be as simple as my cat did this really cute thing today and I'm just telling everybody about it. And I'm like, yay! <laughs> or, you know... um, I don't know like a really good episode of trashy re- reality TV and I'm like, "Oh, yeah." <laughs> yeah. Or I got to eat an actual meal and I wasn't on the toilet for an hour. You know, yeah. little things. I know TMI everybody, but this is the reality of it. Um I find myself to be a lot more grateful than able-bodied people in my life, for sure. Absolutely. So I think that is that is what helps me through. Gratitude is how I get through. And there are days I lay I lay awake in the morning debating if I should even get my day started because I feel just like complete trash on fire. And I lay there and I'm like, I'm so grateful I can see. I'm so grateful I can hear. I'm so grateful I can speak. I'm so grateful that I'm cognitive- cognitively all there. I have all my limbs and I can breathe. And that is enough to be like, we got this, let's go. You yeah. know what I mean? At least for a brief moment to get going. So and I know that might sound wishy-washy, but it's true. And I've been kind of like, just doing little meditations that I've been seeing like online, like really weird, interesting things that I I would probably sound crazy to some people, but it's working for me because it just aligns with how I think about things. And it's like this, I don't know if you want to hear about it, but there's like this thing that, that um, a hypnotherapist was talking about, about how they were able to help a child heal from an inoperable brain tumor that was going to kill him and it's something called the brain room and you create a room in your brain that you go to you can look however you want and it could you could do whatever it, just imagine however right for me it's it's very different than what i think it's not very white and medical it's very cozy and antiquey and i envision like these knobs like very old school knobs with labels on them and it's fatigue nausea pain you know, all this kind of, and I adjust it. I go in and I adjust. <laughs> and that's what the, the, hypnotherapist was, her, the hypnotherapist was saying is that like, there's a way to manipulate your brain in favor of like your, your physical symptoms too. Like, so, so, although I'm not, there have been times where I felt like it really did work or it has been working. And then some days or things are so bad physiologically, you're like, oh God, the brain room is not working today. But um, yeah, that's kind of been helping me because it it kind of like okay, it, it can very tailor make it to whatever I'm dealing with that day—depression, anxiety, whatever—and I'm turning knobs and flipping switches, and it kind of looks like something out of like you know those old school operator women with the little <laughs> yeah. connections. It's something like that, but there's knobs instead. Cool. So I I mean I hope that someone would benefit from this too because it also makes you think that you actually have control over it. You're actually you know manipulating stuff, and that boy. His tumor went away. The hypnotherapist told him to go in his brain room every day and hit the tumor with his lightsaber. He was into Star Wars. Uh. So, every day he would go in and hit the tumor with the lightsaber in his brain room and adjust his immune system and whatever. And he is okay.
1: I love that. I might try that. My brain room would be like a retro sci-fi spaceship console
2: (laughs) i knew it i already i already knew what your brain room would look like before you said it (laughs) yeah
1: it's pretty obvious um yeah (laughs) but i think that's so cool and you know the only thing similar i've tried is you know sometimes my pain in my right temple gets really severe uh and Mm -hmm. i would focus on my left temple that doesn't hurt and kind of say well okay i have one you know (laughs) (laughs) and be grateful for that be grateful that that left side isn't hurting and focus on that and just kind of imagine what if that was on both sides it reminds me of mirror therapy that uh, we talked about um with annie vander a few episodes back about crps um but Mm -hmm. yeah i mean anything that helps is worth doing anything at all it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. what it is it doesn't matter what your friends think what your family thinks if you find something that helps keep doing it you know so many people nice. out there are going to tell you that they have the cure or that they can cure mm-hmm. you or they have the magic potion or elixir or whatever it is. And they only want you to pay $10 a month to get it, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And But all that matters is what actually works. Um, mm-hmm. So, whatever it is, you know, what, however, however it sounds, however you react to it, it, it doesn't matter unless it works. So, keep trying things. Right. Until you find something that works. Yeah. This is a new one for me. You know, like I always get excited when I hear a new coping mechanism that I've never heard mm-hmm. of before. I think that's a really, really interesting one that I am going to try because it actually sounds kind of fun.
2: <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It, it, for some reason, it just works for me because I, I'm not I'm not someone who's like really into like meditating sometimes because I have such intrusive thoughts. Like my yeah. brain is, I have such bad ADD. I'm not kidding. Yeah. And um, uh, this k- keeps me doing it. Uh, it it kinda, like, if you, it kinda looks like. Like a mixture between, like I said, the old school like operator rooms and like a hobbit house. Like it's very <laughs> cozy and there's a fireplace and it's usually raining outside and there's like a lot of nature in the window. Like it's my happy, cozy place. So I want to go there every night or every morning and check in on my little knobs. And and there's lights on them too. So like sometimes I'm like, oh, when I went to sleep, or hey, in these last few hours the fatigue went back on, so I switch it all the way <laughs> off again, you know? So it just keeps me, you know checking in with my brain and and forcing myself to get centered and focused yeah i really feel like it kind of has been helping i'm not kidding like there have been some days where i've had very you know active not active but like very productive and like normal feeling days and i'm like okay cool the only thing is i haven't gotten a handle on the colitis stuff yet that's the only thing but you know maybe it's just too new and i'm still emotionally grappling with it that i i it's gonna take some time
1: yeah, it it will take time, I'm sure. But I I also have faith that you will make progress for sure, you know. It's Thank you. We we all have to take these things in our own time and our, at our own speed. And that it's so right. important to to not hold yourself to any standard other than your best. Just do your best. Right. And some days your best is to do nothing. Some days your yes. best is to watch Real Housewives and that's it. Um and that other is days my
2: best every day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um And other days, you know, you have more spoons, you can do more. I'm just, I I love this brain room thing because I'm thinking about like, you know, recently I've been realizing that my anxiety level has been a little higher than normal. You know, we're about to move. I've had more energy, but I don't know how to use it. And I'm really anxious about doing too much. Um, And then when I have a flare, I'm anxious inside of it because I feel like I caused it by doing too much. And I've been trying to pay attention to where is my anxiety level. And when I feel it, just turn it down a little bit, and I, I love this right. idea of like having a knob in my brain room on my spaceship where it's the yeah. anxiety <laughs> knob, and I just turn it down. And you know, with what I've learned about brain retraining from guests we've had on the show, you know that sort of repeated intention in your own mind of trying to trying to take control over something that feels out of your control, if you you build new pathways that eventually will work on their own without you having to put conscious thought into it. Um. that's the theory Absolutely. Anyway. yeah yeah I, the I more you do it there.
2: no i 1000 percent think it's like something there for sure for sure like i love that i can go in my brain room from literally just even less than a minute you know breathe calm down close my eyes go in my brain room and be like, like okay i'm turning off the anxiety now and then once i go out of my brain room i'm back to life i'm like i already turned off that lever i don't have to stress it i don't have to worry about it anymore i've yeah. already did, did the lever you know what I mean? And, and yeah. it might be a little bit of play on like your thoughts a little bit, but, you know, it's almost kind of like, you know, it's out of my control now. I've already adjusted it in my brain. There's no need to expel any more energy on this.
1: Cool. I love it. That's awesome. Okay. I have one more question for you. So okay, just thinking about the cosmic balance of your life, you have so many things that you've struggled through and one has gotten better. One has shown up and wreaked havoc. How are you doing mm-hmm. overall? How do you feel about the balance overall? What, where are you at in life right now?
2: You know, although I'm still in the process of, you know, thinking things through and grieving or, or feeling things, um, I have found that I have a lot more motivation to kind of just grab life right now because I'm the youngest and healthiest I'll ever be right now. And I kind of like, you know, I spent the last over two years really reclusive and isolated. Um, you know, it's really, I wouldn't say it has put a strain on my relationships, but it's definitely, you know, I haven't seen a lot of people. I haven't hung out with a lot of people. Um, I was kind of existing. But now, as of late, you know, I got my hair cut, I got my eyebrows waxed. I'm starting to schedule people in. I'm like, you know what? It's now. Time is now. I'm not going to let it, what happened to my dad happen to me. I'm not going to just stop living and go in a hole. Um, And if whoever doesn't like it, you know, the inconvenience of having a chronically ill person around doesn't really need to be be in my life because stress is such a big trigger for me. And it literally wreaks havoc on my body that there is zero tolerance for nonsense. None. No negativity. Nothing. Because now it's personal to me, you know, like my now my love language is peace. Mm. Like I cannot have it in my life. So there has been a little bit of an overhaul and I find myself being much more blunt and and clear about things because I'm like, no more, no more, not doing this anymore. Like my health is number one for real.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And maybe this was a gift that your dad gave you, you know, this yeah. glimpse into what you don't want to do. And you obviously have yeah. so much love for your dad, you know, inside of yeah, this complicated history. um, And I know that if your dad could choose not to give you these diseases he would choose not to um for sure but you know there's so much we have no control of in life and uh, definitely with around chronic illness but i think having that example of of what you don't want to see happen in your life giving you the focus about what to do could could end up being a real gift in your life and you know you said that right. this is the youngest and healthiest you're ever going to be this might not be that you might have health levels that you haven't reached yet you know that's true i think keep that possibility open because now they have two autoimmune conditions and the potentiality that there is a medication out there that could help with both you never know you might find the right medication and suddenly you're you're healthier than you've been in years that's absolutely a possibility
2: no no that is very very true and i'm very hopeful about it as well but as far as the age part for sure i'm not getting any younger
1: (laughs) yeah until we invent weird time travel stuff um Yeah. yeah But Amy, it's been so great to catch up with you. Thank you so much for sharing where you're at. Sounds like a very complicated place to be with so much happening, so much changing. But, you know, please keep me updated. Let me know what's going on in the future. And I I wish you all the best in your health journey. Um, It's just really great to, to catch up and see how you've been.
2: Thank you so much. And actually, this has been kind of a gift because I've been able to process out loud what I haven't really been processing, which is, it's been great. So I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, that's awesome to hear. I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you so much. Alana, welcome back to the podcast.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Yes, I'm so excited to catch up with you today. Uh, Before we jump into that, let's remind our listeners a bit about your journey. So, what is the uh, what is the 32nd version of your last podcast?
0: <laughs> sure. So last time we spoke, which was about eight months ago, I checked my calendar today and was like, wow, I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah. But but with me, um, I live with primary immune deficiency disease or hypogamma anemia, which, uh, wasn't diagnosed in me until I was 19 years old. It's a rare disease. It's an, uh, immune disorder where I have a hard time fighting off infections and bacteria and colds and viruses and all that fun stuff. And, uh, and I also live with, uh, all the comorbidities that come with it. So dysautonomia, uh, as well as, um, some some interesting side disorders side dishes to this <laughs> <laughs> which are uh an adhesion disorder where i started growing scar tissue all throughout my abdomen and other parts of my body and most recently intracranial hypertension
1: wow was the intracranial hypertension had that happened when we spoke last
0: you know i it, it was happening it was certainly happening i didn't know it was happening <laughs> because yeah because my brain was very swollen at the time. Yeah,
1: yeah, the last episode um we did before the season 2 finale was about intracranial hypertension. Um yeah. so I just recently learned a bunch about, you know, how debilitating that can be. Um so what what is your update? How have you been since we recorded 8 months ago?
0: I've been all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's such a loaded question with um with anyone who has a chronic illness. Um but for me yeah it's been it's been very up and down. Um I guess the the two major things with my my health are that yeah I was I, I almost want to say re-diagnosed with the intracranial hypertension mm-hmm. because I was actually diagnosed with it in 20 uh, early 2020 maybe even like late 2019 um but it it was such a blip on the radar with all the things that I was going through that I uh, I had one lumbar puncture and didn't really have another migraine again for a while, and then kind of forgot about it. But as you know, I moved from South Florida to Vancouver, Washington, the Portland metro area. And when I flew over here, which was about, it was about a year and a half ago, I got off the plane and my ears never popped. And I was having really bad migraines that were just coming in these like waves. I was, I was having them um, you know, for a couple of weeks at a time. I was trying all of my migraine treatments that um, because I had had migraines for years, for for at least the last decade or so. Um and these migraines just weren't responding to anything at all. Like no migraine medication at all was helping. Um but they would come and then they would go away for a little while. And then at some point over the summer, not long after uh, I think our interview, um, I I was having a really bad episode with them, and my parents came to visit my husband and I from Florida, and my mom kind of looked at me and she's like, "You look very strange," and I was like, "Thank you so much." And she was like, <laughs> "Thanks, mom." <laughs> yeah, she was, but she was like, no, "She's like no, she's like your face. She's like your your right eye is like bulging." Wow. Um, and I was like. Great. Okay. All (laughs) right. I don't know what to do with that. I was like, I have a really bad migraine. um, And I also was having spine pain, like down to my tailbone um, that I was going to physical therapy for because I thought, I thought maybe I just had like arthritis in my hips or something. And it was causing like this nerve pain in my tailbone. And I was also having memory problems Mm. where i was completely forgetting whole conversations that i had whole meetings that i would have at work i would be like did i go to that meeting i don't even remember being in that meeting um and i was having speech difficulties where i was stuttering which was really unusual for me and all of that kind of came together when my parents came to visit because we were driving um out to cannon beach which is about two hours um uh, two hours to the coast from where I am. And during the ride there, I don't really know the topography of Oregon because like, I just got to the West coast at that point. Like, I don't really, I don't know where I am. I'm just used to being in Florida where like the land is flat. Um, but as we're driving to the coast, we have to go up a mountain, like just, there's a mountain to get to the beach from where I am. So I, I I don't, Okay. So we're driving. And as we're driving, I'm getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And the pressure in my head is just, it's so bad. It's like a migraine, but there's vertigo. I'm feeling like I'm going to throw up. Like, it just feels like someone is um, taking two hands and just like squishing my head together. And... Um, as, and it's, as we're going up this mountain and I'm looking at, um, the compass on my phone, which tells you the elevation and we were, you know, 800, 900, a thousand feet up. And just the higher we got, the sticker I got. And every time that we would go down 200 or 300 feet, I would start to feel a little bit better. Um, so that's when I started to put two and two together that like part of these migraines is associated with elevation mm. and, um, Anyway, so we get to the coast and I'm I'm better at the coast, but on the ride back again, I'm sick as a dog. Um we get back to Washington to to Vancouver, Washington where where I live now, and I uh I just didn't get better at that point. Like I just continued to just completely deteriorate to the point where I I couldn't make a full sentence. I wasn't remembering things. Things from an hour beforehand. I was really very very ill, and the migraine pain was nonstop. And this whole time, I had been trying to get an MRI of my brain. Um, but I had previously been to Mayo Clinic, and they had put that I had conversion disorder oh, on my chart.
1: That yeah, I've been there, and too. because they, not at Mayo right, Clinic. Course, that that feels uh, it was extra bad, extra bad. Yeah, yeah,
0: it was. It was extra bad. So, so, um, my neurologist here just didn't, wouldn't do anything. Like they were just like, you're fine. And I'm like, I am definitely not fine. So we get back from the trip. My mother comes with me to the neurologist and I'm like, there's no point in going to this neurologist. He's just not listening to me. He won't give me an MRI. And we walk into the office and my mom is like, look at her. Just take a minute and look at her Mm. and let her talk. So you can see that her speech pattern is not normal and you can see that her eye is bulging and like, there's clearly something very, very wrong here. Wow. And finally he did take us seriously, but he was like, I can't, he's like, I won't be able to get you in for an MRI for weeks based on the weight that we have right now in our area. And, and so he says, you need to go to the emergency room. Cause this, I am actually alarmed. This does look very bad. So we went to the emergency room. We waited for 15 hours oh. for me to get back into a room. And as soon as we did, they they did end up doing um, a lumbar puncture where my pressure was very high. Mm. And then they did an MRI with contrast, which is something that they had never done at the Mayo Clinic when they diagnosed me with conversion disorder. Um, and when they did the MRI, it was very, very clear that I had... Uh, very bad intracranial hypertension to the point where the um, arteries in the back of my head were like extremely small, like too small for the uh, spinal fluid to get out of my brain. And the the optic nerve, or I'm sorry, not even the optic nerve. There's like, I think there's like arteries that are near your eyebrows. Uh, They showed them to me on, on the MRI and they're supposed to be straight tubes and mine were bent completely at a 90 degree angle from how much spinal fluid was trapped in my brain mm. um and so it was it was actually a very dire very bad situation um and fortunately like with the spinal tap and and getting a lot of the spinal fluid out i immediately started to feel better and i immediately started to improve uh but they did want me to have brain surgery wow. and and i was totally thrown like i was like no I, not me, not me having brain surgery. I don't need brains. I don't know what you're talking about. Like it was for me, like I just could not wrap my, (laughs) literally could not wrap my head around that concept. (laughs) And, um, and so I've, I've been speaking with neurosurgeons again, this was, this was about six or eight months ago. Um, and I've had, uh, I've had two more spinal taps to reduce the spinal uh, fluid. Um, I'm, I'm actually at a place where I'm not really considering having the surgery that they want me to have just because I, I've i seen so many patients and I've, I've spoken with so many patients who have had these shunt and stent surgeries that are not successful overall over a long period of time. And I'm just not convinced right now that it's the best path forward, though getting spinal taps every couple of months is also not a great path. Um, it's just kind of where I am right now.
1: Wow. Okay. I, yeah. Spinal taps. I mean, that's one of the tests that I've had done where whenever it comes up again, I shudder in fear. Um, those are not fun. Um, I can't imagine having to steal yourself for doing that like all the time.
0: Yeah. For me, like the first two times that I had them terrifying, but, but also I was in so much pain at that point that I needed them. And so I was like, and I knew that they would provide relief. Mm. So I I at least had that going in because it was, you know, spinal taps for most people are diagnostic procedures. They are there to collect the spinal fluid so that, so that they can read the spinal fluid. But for me, it's literally draining my spine. Like the whole goal is just to like pull that excess fluid out.
1: Yeah. Uh, So the last person, Michelle, that I interviewed about intracranial hypertension mentioned a medication that can lower your amount of, Um, spinal fluid. Is that something your doctors have talked to you about?
0: Yes, that was first line. So that treatment is called Diamox and it's a diuretic. Yeah. And uh, for a lot of people, it works excellent for me because I also have dysautonomia and I have so much issues with staying hydrated. um, And that's a diuretic. It's kind of has the opposite effect. So I took it for three days and had a very bad reaction to it as far as just becoming so dehydrated that like I had no veins and it completely destroyed my stomach and it made my actual headaches worse. So it really wasn't a great drug for me or a great option for me. So we kind of, aside from Diamox, the only treatments are brain surgery or, um, or spinal taps. Or That's really the only thing that's left.
1: That's so frustrating. And you've already dealt with so much in your <laughs> medical journey. I mean, what's the feeling of having something else dumped in your lap that you do not want sitting on top of you that is like another chronic condition? That I, I can't even imagine on top of everything else that you're already already going through.
0: It's annoying. I'm very annoyed. <laughs> I'm annoyed about it. Like anytime something new enters the picture, and you know, that's the thing too, is like I'm 33 years old at this point. Um, I have outlived, I think the, the, the mileage on this body mm. by and far. Um, and so I know that I need to have the expectation that like the harder that I run this body with all of its dysfunctions, the higher, the likelihood that I'm going to have more and more, not just more chronic, but more severe, um, forms of illness because I, I know that I'm running too hard for what my body is capable of. Um, so I, I know it literally in just living my daily life that I am putting out more than I, than I, than I physically have. Um, So it's very annoying because I, I think I'm just the kind of person that just wants to keep going at a normal speed. Um, But I, I have to just give myself the reality check that like, this will be the reality. If I, you know, if I, if I live long, you know, (laughs) and, and, Yeah, like this, this will be something that, that probably happens. And I think that, um, I, and I think if, if a doctor were to look at my file and be like, you have X, Y, and Z, um, you know, how impossible is that? And it's just like, no, it's not impossible. This is what, this is what happens when somebody outlives a chronic illness that is trying to kill them. Um, it has a, it has a rebound effect on the body. Uh, and so as annoyed as I am, I'm not, entirely surprised, but I am annoyed.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fascinating. I mean, I, I, I totally know what you mean. Like, And thinking about the, the way that your body is wearing over time with the chronic mm-hmm. illness is something that really stresses me out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and just see, seeing the damage, the toll that everything takes on you, not just the illness, but the medications that you have to take and yes. sometimes the inactivity that you are forced into, these things, you know, take a toll. Um and I'm so lucky to be in a place right now where I'm more active than I have been in a long time and I am feeling every day that I was inactive when I try to get out there and be active my body is just like not used to it anymore you know I'm not I'm not you know I'm not that young anymore I'm I'm 38 I'm almost 40 there's an element of aging that I'm now reckoning with on top of trying to get back out into the world physically um and it's just you know I don't I don't know what toll things have taken because science is not advanced enough to really tell us the answer to a lot of these questions. You know, like my next question for you, I, I'm, I'm guessing there probably isn't an answer, but do you know why you now have intracranial hypertension? Is there, have, have doctors given you any sort of a reason this has happened or is it just, you know, idiopathic? We don't know why this has started happening. It's
0: a good question. There is a There's a reigning theory, but it's not a strong theory at all by my research. So one correlation that they have found uh, for women who who end up having intracranial hypertension at my age is extended use of birth control. Mm. And for me, I have been on the Depo-Provera shot way longer than you're supposed to be on the Depo-Provera shot. Um and that's because uh it's one thing that really seems to help with the um pelvic pain and abdominal adhesions and endometriosis that I have. Um so for me not to be on birth control causes a lot of damage and what was really interesting was when they told me that when they said, "Hey, there are studies claiming, claiming," it's not a very I'm I want to really preface that because when I really did dig into the research, it was like well women in their 30s who have this uh, also use birth control i'm like what woman in her 30s who 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 is not currently pregnant is not using birth control <laughs> like it's just i don't know it was it was a anyway um when they told me yeah you know it could be the birth control i was like well let's get me off the birth control right away and so i immediately stopped my birth control and immediately <laughs> after stopping my i'm not even joking when i say like a month um after the birth control had left my system, um, my adhesions and my endometriosis struck and it struck so violently, um, that when I went to my follow up appointment at my neurosurgeon's office, I was literally like crawling into his office. I had cramps so bad. Um, and I was like, I am, I'm like, I am so unwell. I'm like, I've only been off it for a month. And, I physically don't feel like my body can like, I can feel my organs like being pulled in every direction. Like things are got, getting so, so bad. Um, And he was like, just get back on the birth control. Like it, it's not worth like you being completely disabled from this when we don't fully know if that's, you know, the problem. Um, So I did get back on my birth control, but the damage had already been done. Mm. And so I ended up having to have an abdominal surgery again, So this is every two years, if you remember my my episode, it's like every two years I have to go in and have the adhesions cleaned out. And when they went in this time to clean out the adhesions, um, just in this short period, really, I had adhesions that had grown on every single organ. Again, like my bladder, my uterus, my abdominal wall, my colon, like literally everything was just like, they said it was like a corset that was tying me together. And, um, And it took a general surgeon and a gynecologist to cut me apart. So again, when we talk about like living long with a chronic illness, all of these things, like the new diagnosis, the medication that you take to treat the new diagnosis, the medication that you get off of because it caused something with the new diagnosis, you know, all of it culminates and it's just, you know, it's it's life with a chronic, with with living long with a chronic illness, that's what it looks like. It's this kind of like, multifaceted, ongoing chaos that you are expected to live through.
1: And you just have to do your best. There's no right or wrong. uh, Oftentimes, there's very often like the thing that seems like the best thing to do. um, But you often don't know what the side effects of that are going to be or how your body's going to tolerate it. And it's really easy, I think, to get down on yourself and to be mad at your doctors and to just be mad at the world. Um, But in my experience, the only thing to do is just keep trying, keep going, keep trying different things. And you never know when something might work. Um, You know, you will know if it doesn't work, it's going to tell you real loud. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And a lot of things are not going to work. But if you don't keep trying, you'll never find the thing that does work. Um, Something Mm -hmm. that really impresses me about you is that, you know, through all this stuff that you've gone through, you've also just been like hitting it hard with your, you know, you know, with your advocacy work and you're writing a book and you're looking for people to interview and you've just been, you know, exploding on social media, on TikTok and Instagram, you've really been getting your story out there and doing a lot of amazing work. And I've been really thrilled to see it and really impressed since I spoke with you last at, you know, you've just been doing amazing. Can you, can you tell us a little Thank bit about you. that?
0: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the show goes on for sure. Um, I've been... uh Again, even though all that, yes, all that has gone on with my health, um, and that's, in a weird way, normal for me to, to exist in that chaos, and at the same time, my release and my enthusiasm for the life that I live is the advocacy work that I do and the career that I have, and so in a way, that kind of motivates me to really keep it going, and in the last couple of months, a lot of exciting things have happened. I got a book deal with Ben Bella Books, which is a part of Random House, for a book on medical gaslighting, and I'm so I'm so excited about this project. It is my whole heart, and it is everything. You know, the first book that I wrote was, again, in the same vein of like I wish I had had this guidebook for me for when I was younger. And this same book is, is with the same mindset of like, I wish, I wish I had been able to tell myself that, you know, this was the way that the medical system was going to treat me. And these were the, the, the things that put me at risk for being treated certain ways. And these are the tools that I need to use to fight back. And so this book is actually, it's a, um, I'm calling it a combat guide um, (laughs) because it really is like a strategic warlike book. And it is not, the faint of heart this book is not a soft and none of my books are and they're never going to be none of my work is um kind of like a a comforting soft warm fuzzy hug vibe i don't i'm not that girl um mine is my work is very much like hey we're at war for our lives here and this is what we need to do and i don't care if it hurts your feelings i don't care (laughs) you know if it if it you know if it feels like we're going hard on something but like Um, when it comes to medical bias and being in the exam room and knowing that, like, your life is on the line, like, I want people to be prepared more than I want them to feel comforted, I Mm. guess.
1: Yeah. And you, I mean, you do such a good job of that. So I've seen so much of your content where you're just, you know, giving people, you know, ideas about how to approach their doctors and how to advocate for themselves. Because, you know, we say it all the time how important it is to advocate for yourself. But how do you do that? You know, what, what is the practicality of doing that? And it's going to look different for every person. And getting some ideas of how other people have done it and succeeded is huge. Um, and I, I'm, thrilled that I'm thrilled for you about this book. This is really exciting because you know, medical gaslighting is horrifying, And for any of us who have ever been to a doctor who didn't take us seriously and made us feel like the thing that was, you know, bringing our lives to a standstill was all in our heads, that's insanely uh, dangerous, and it does horrible things to your psyche, and then it, you know, gets you to doubt yourself and to question whether or not your own experience of your own life is real, because a doctor told you it's not, and that's not fair when you're going to someone for help, you know, it's... It's something that's like a huge issue that that I have lived through a lot and I feel like shining a light on it is so important. Collecting stories is really exciting. I can't wait to see what you put together.
0: Thank you. I'm I'm I think it's really interesting to to think about it as we we really see it as being almost just this mental issue where we suffer the the medical PTSD and the trauma of being medically gaslit. And that's definitely something that I explore in the book, but the other things that are in there, the the other consequences of medical gaslighting, um, are are so grave. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 I think it it will be really motivating for people who kind of view it as you know, well, this is just hurting my feelings. Um, And this is just giving me, you know, it's giving, it's, it's giving me fear and it's making me feel like I, I can't stand up for myself, but I think this book and the stories that are in it will really show that like, if you don't have the audacity to stand up for yourself, it's going to fold into much bigger issues, you know, stuff from losing a limb or an organ to literally dying because you're not being heard.
1: Yeah. And that's so, it's so hugely important. Yeah, I mean, it's talking about what – tying back to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, the, the toll it takes on your body to live with a chronic illness for years and years. As soon as you can figure out what's going on in your body and do what you can to mitigate that, you're going to be better off in the long run. And, you know, I've mm-hmm. been thinking about this, like, if if I have mast cell activation syndrome, which we now think that I, I do, um, you know, still not officially diagnosed, but um, I'm on the medication and it's helping – You know, the more I learn about that disease, when your mast cells are activating constantly and they're going haywire and releasing all of these mediators into your bloodstream that become toxic, you know, I live with that, my body full of all of that, if this is the right diagnosis, that I live with that for years, where my body was being like poisoned by itself for years and years and years. And I'm still trying to figure out, you know, if that's what happened, what damage did that cause? Are there things Mm -hmm. that I need to look into now? you know, for preventative care. And because this disease is so new, we, we don't know that much about it. So it's kind of it's kind of hard to say. And I'm just, you know, it, it's a worry. <laughs> um, and it's,
0: you know, it, it goes back to the idea of, of what we were talking about before, where it's like, we can only do the best we can with what we have at the time. And every yeah. decision that we, you know, that we make for ourselves and for our healthcare, we just kind of have to look back and give ourselves grace because mm. we could only do what we could with what we had. And and you of all people, you are doing the most. I don't know anyone who's working as hard (laughs) as you to get things figured out. So, well, thank you.
1: And that's a beautiful attitude to have—to give yourself grace. Um, And it's it's always good to be reminded of that. I was thinking along the same lines earlier and forgot to mention that, and then got myself all worked up, you know. But then you (laughs) reminded me, and it still helped, even though I was just thinking about that. I already forgot. So we always have to, you know, some things are worth repeating. Um, And being being forgiving to yourself and recognizing that you're doing your best and there isn't necessarily a right or a wrong. You have to make mistakes sometimes to move forward, to learn what it is you need to know, to figure out where the next step should even go. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, hugely important. But Alana, amazing job today coming back on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming back and sharing a bit more of your story. I always love talking to you and I'm thrilled that you have big things in the works, but I also, I just really want to stay in touch and, you know, keep up to date on what's happening in your chronic illness journey, because it is a tumultuous one to say the least.
0: Absolutely. And thank you again. And I've been listening to the episodes. You're doing a phenomenal job. Thank you. Uh, I've discovered so many new, amazing patients from your episodes that I'm now in touch with. So, oh am really great. excited about that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I emailed a bunch of people um, a couple months ago, looking for people if they were interested in being interviewed for your book. Um, but that reminds me, so if, if are you still looking for people to interview uh, medical gaslighting stories? Okay, yes,
0: if someone yes. has
1: lived through medical gaslighting and they wanna be featured in a book, um, how
0: do they reach out to you? They can reach out to me, they can send me their name, their age, their location, their diagnosis, and a synopsis of their story to Iwasnotheard at gmail.com.
1: Awesome, and are you focusing primarily on women?
0: I am right now focusing primarily on women AFAB individuals right now. Yes.
1: AFAB being assigned female at birth. Great.
0: Correct. Yes.
1: Awesome. Um so amazing. A lot of thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's a it's great to see you again and I can't wait to hear about the amazing things you have going on in the future. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast artwork by egg salad salad our theme music is the song time machine from my sci-fi synth pop album available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com send your thoughts or questions to our email address majorpainpodcast at gmail.com you can also use that address to find us on paypal tips are greatly appreciated don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on apple podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Pain podcast.